communion uh, with us at the end of the service. Let's now turn our attention to Pastor Tom. Good morning. We were uh, having a special prayer time with our girls this week, and we included communion with it. And Christina said, can I use popcorn? And I said, no. <laughs> no, you got to find something better than popcorn. That is that, I mean, God understands, but not popcorn. Anyway, um, I'm so excited about this morning, about the message that uh, the Lord has given me for you. And I, it's not just for you, it's for me too. Um, so we are reading from... 1 Peter chapter 3, we're going to do verses 3 to 7, then we're going to kind of skip over to the end of the book, chapter 5, 5 through 9, and I think we'll have the words on your screen as well. Here we go. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory at the revelation and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Then over to chapter 5. Likewise, you who are younger, be subject to the elders. Clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility toward one another. For God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time he may exalt you, casting all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. Be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring, roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. Resist him, firm in your faith, knowing that the same kinds of suffering are being experienced by your brotherhood throughout the world. Let's pray. Lord, you have a word that you want to bring this morning. You have a word, I believe, for every single heart. I also believe you have a corporate word for City Church. And so, Lord, we just offer, I offer you my voice. I offer you um, my words and say, God, hide me behind your cross so that we can hear you. Please, God, have your way, we ask in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. So the title of our series is Precious Faith. We introduced the series last week talking about um, Jesus uh, is called the precious stone in chapter 2. Peter says that we are redeemed with precious blood in chapter 1. And, and here he says in verse 7 that our faith is precious. So precious means to be highly valued. 
Last week we looked at the context of the letter that Peter's actually sending this as a circular letter to Gentile believers in all of these churches in Asia, Asia Minor that Paul had planted and he calls them exiles and he's not speaking of them as geographic exiles as if they left their home and had to go to another place but as spiritual exiles that their home is in heaven. God has made this holy nation and we are strangers and exiles and this is is, this is the only way to understand the suffering that they're going through and the right way to respond to it and um, that w- we don't belong here. Our home is in heaven and this is all about this heavenly culture that we are aligning our lives to and then living out down here as foreigners and strangers down here. Last week was about the living hope and he he gives us two things. One, we have this living hope because God is protecting for us this inheritance in heaven. So part of our living hope is what is coming, that there's an undefiled, unfading, imperishable inheritance waiting for us. It's amazing. We haven't seen anything yet, and God is keeping this for us. He's protecting this in heaven. So that's part of our living hope. But the second part of it is God's not just keeping this inheritance. He's keeping keeping us until we get there, that we are being kept by the power of God through this precious faith so that we will make it. And Peter is, um, last week we talked about the theme throughout the letter is hope. He's called actually the apostle of hope. This week, we're going to talk about defense. It's very interesting. Part of our faith is saying yes to God. And part of our faith is saying no to the devil. And I I wouldn't have seen this as a theme through this letter if we hadn't done this discipline of before you really do a book um, verse by verse, you need to read the whole book. You need to get an idea of what the whole book is. And so um, me and a few of the pastors that are going to actually be helping me preach First Peter, we, we, we did this. We read the whole book and we got the idea of the whole book. So we see the whole thing. And I saw something that I hadn't seen before about defense. God wants us to have a faith that is strong on offense in our yes to God and a faith that is also strong on defense that's able to say no to the enemy. I was looking, uh, reading the paper and they were interviewing Aaron Rodgers before the draft and the question was, do you think that they're going to draft, use a top draft choice to get you a receiver, to get you a playmaker, an exciting receiver because... Offense is exciting. It's exciting to watch teams that have a great offense. It's exciting to to see people that do great things on offense. But to win Super Bowls, you've got to have defense. And Aaron's response is, yeah, I don't think so. (laughs) He said, it's been years since we've used a top draft choice for a playmaker. In 2018, two defensive guys. One a defensive end, one's a cornerback. Uh, 2018, 
once again, two defensive backs. Top, top choices is to build defense. Because it doesn't matter how good your offense is. If you have a bad defense, you're not, you're not going to win in the end. And so we want to, Peter wants us to develop defense. So the title of the message this morning is Precious Faith, Humility. Point one is developing a defense. When he says resist the devil, that the devil's going about as a roaring lion and you need to be awake and sober and vigilant and look for him. This is very personal for Peter. Peter saw one of his buddies, Judas, devoured by the devil. And he himself was also almost devoured. He almost lost it because of Satan and because of what Satan did that he couldn't see. The day I, I had been thinking about this ever since we did the, read through the whole book, and the morning I started working on it, um, the one-year Bible was Luke 11, or Luke 22, 31 and 32. Jesus is speaking at the Last Supper. Simon, Simon, Satan has asked to sift all of you as wheat. But I have prayed for you, Simon, that your faith may not fail. And when you have turned back, strengthen your brothers. Why can Jesus see something so clearly that Peter can't see at all? It's, it's about humility. Pride can't see. Spiritual pride can't see the devil. The, the, the devil's spirit is a spirit of pride and independence. And so when you're in that spirit, you become blind to what he's doing. And you can't see clearly spiritually. Matthew chapter 11, 28 through 30. Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened. And I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. For I am gentle and humble in heart. And you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Jesus gives us not just a promise of salvation when we come to him. He gives us a promise of character that he wants to impart to us his own character of humility. However proud we may be, however independent of an independent spirit, Jesus has a promise for us. Listen, if you'll come to me and keep coming to me, I will teach you. You will learn humility. Peter is in a whole different place when he writes this letter. And he writes, clothe yourselves with humility toward one another. How do we clothe ourselves with humility? We're on to point two. First, I've got to say this about false humility. There is a very spiritual sounding prayer that's wrong. <laughs> it goes like this. And you, and you hear this prayer every once in a while, prayer me. God, make me nothing. Make me nothing. You be everything. Make us nothing so that you're everything. Here's why it's not, it's not a scriptural prayer. 
God already was everything and you were nothing before he made you. If he, if he wanted to be everything and you nothing, he went to created you. Actually, God wants you to be someone. He wants you to be a favored son, a favored daughter, knowing that you are loved, and he has an assignment for you that he, you can only do with him and he won't do it without you and you guys need to do it together. Peter starts out the gospel. Peter, an apostle of faith. What, what's he doing there? He's just humbly saying, what his assignment is. Our, we always get a little dangerous, and especially in America, we tend to put our identity in our assignment. We think of ourselves as what we do. That is not how God thinks of us. <laughs> we are beloved, favored sons and daughters. That is who we are. Then we've got an assignment to do with him. We've got an assignment in the body of Christ. It says in 2 Corinthians 3, 5 and 6, not that we are adequate in ourselves to consider anything as coming from ourselves, but our adequacy is from God, who also made us adequate as servants of a new covenant, not of the letter, but of the Spirit. For the letter kills, but the Spirit gives life. God has given you assignment and you are adequate for that assignment. You are part of the ministry of the new covenant. It's a little humbling even what adequate means. Adequate means good enough. You don't have to be amazing. Just you're good enough. I can use you. I can use you for your assignment. Lord, I'm not perfect. Lord, I'm, I'm proud. Lord, I'm not good enough to be used. He's like, no, you're not. But this is the plan. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to use you. I'm going to use you now. You're adequate. You're adequate. I'm going to make you something. I'm going to make you something in our partnership. I'm going to do the impossible things. I'm going to, by my Holy Spirit, I'm going to do the impossible things, but I need you to show up. I need you to offer yourself. I need you to not shrink back in false humility and say, no, it would be pride for me to do anything, for me to do. No, this is the plan. God's not going to do it apart from us. We can't do it apart from him. So let's stay out of false humility. Clothing ourselves with, with real humility. How do you do it? Well, first, all the way through 1 Peter... He says God is going to use earthly authority to expose pride and give us an opportunity to learn humility, to clothe ourselves with humility. First, he says this about the government. Submit, this is chapter 2, 12 through 14. Submit yourselves for the Lord's sake to every human authority, whether to the emperor as the supreme authority or to governors who are sent by him to punish those who do wrong and to commend those who do right. Submit yourself. Well, I had something happen to me a couple weeks ago. We were getting to April 24th. It was the end of the, the lockdown. And I'm Mr. Freedom. I don't like being locked down. I want to do stuff. I want to get us together. I, wanna, I want stuff. And I was so excited about the next stage of starting to open church back up. And the order came um, from Tony Evers, our governor, that he was keeping us shut down until May 26th. 
And then he gave a few small things that he was going to start opening. And I just, I just decided we're opening things up here. I, I told Nathan, I said, Nathan, um, starting in May, I want four worship teams. I want, I want that worshiping and waiting. I want this stage to be filled with, we're going to, we're going, we're going to, Tony Evers is opening it up a little. We're going to open it up a little. And I just was on a mission. And Nathan said this. He said, he said, Tom, I'm not disagreeing with you. I'm not saying that I don't want that too, but I think this is something we should talk to the whole team about. And I'm like, yeah, that's, that's, that's wisdom. I'll convince the team that this is what we need to do. I mean, that's what I'm saying inside of myself. And then I'm just, I'm just filled with this. And um, Chris uh, says to me, because him and I are chatting about it. He says, he says Tom, I, I really think before that meeting, I think you need to read exactly what Tony Evers said. I think you might be putting some things in his mouth that he didn't say. I think you need to reread the order. All right. Okay. I'll go back and find out what he actually said. So, so I reread the order. And we're still shut down. We're shut down for another month. What I wanted to do was the next stage when he starts opening up the badger bounce back. Uh, stage one of when we start bouncing back is when we get to have a bigger worship team and we get to have volunteers here instead of just employees and it gets to be bigger. And, and so I'm, I'm just upset. And here's the little dialogue I had with the Lord. You know, you guys have been praying Every single day that, you, that I would give wisdom to the leadership. Wisdom to the president, wisdom to the governor, wisdom. And now the governor's actually said something. And now you're mad because it's not, it's not what you wanted. But what you're really mad about is that you're not the one that got to choose. Somebody else got to choose. And you have to humble yourself. Whether that decision is right or wrong, really nobody knows. And I know that there are Republicans contending and it, that's, the, that's the right process. And if it changes, praise God, it changes. But for now, this is what it is. And my part is to humble myself. Folks, I'll be the first one to be in civil disobedience if our government or our president tells us we can't preach the gospel anymore. And tells us that we can't talk about Jesus or we can't talk. I'll be the first one to go to jail or prison. But this is not that time. In fact, churches are essential services. We're able to preach. It's, they're trying to keep us safe and they're trying to open up the economy. And, they're trying, and it's a really tough decision and how to do it. And nobody really knows. But here's what, here's what I, so I'm reading First Peter that day. And I'm like, are you kidding me? It actually says governors. <laughs> I'm at the governor, and it specifically says we submit to governors. I'm like, yes, Lord. Yes, Lord. Yes, Lord. We will, we will continue to be locked down because our governor said so. And I'm going to have a good attitude about it because I get to choose my attitude. I didn't get to choose what the law was. I didn't get to choose what the choice is. But I do get to choose what the attitude is. I'm going to have a good attitude. 
Then Peter talks about employers. Here's what he says, chapter 2, 18 and 19. Servants, be submissive to your masters with all respect, not only to those who are good and gentle, but also to those who are unreasonable. For this finds favor or grace, is the word, if for the sake of conscience toward God, a person bears up under sorrows when suffering unjustly. So when you have an unreasonable boss and they're not doing the right thing and they're not doing the right way and they're harsh and they're, they could have said it better and they could have been less mean and you are suffering because of how they are leading, um, if we have the right attitude, if we clothe ourselves with humility, God gives us favor. Because at the end of the day, we're not working for our masters anyway, are we? We're working for God. And God says, I'm, I, I see it all. And if you have to clothe yourself with humility and follow somebody that's unreasonable, I'm going to give you special grace. I give grace to the humble. I look for that. I look for humility, and I'm going to just pour out favor on you. Whatever the boss is doing, I'm going to pour favor on you. Husbands, 1 Peter 3, 1 through 6 of course, in that culture, if uh, I said this last week, the, 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 under the Roman Empire, husbands had absolute authority in the home. So if they were not Christians and the wives were Christians, it was really, really difficult. And so Peter says to the wives, don't give in to fear. Don't give in to fear. God will win your husbands without a word. You don't have to, 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 in your fear, start voicing fears and start voicing how he's wrong and start voicing. No, no. You, God uh, honors a gentle, quiet spirit. It's beautiful to him. That's not a gentle, quiet personality. That's a gentle, quiet spirit. That means a spirit that's trusting God. A spirit that can be gentle and be at peace no matter how difficult the man is being because you're trusting God and not giving in to fear. I refuse to give in to fear. Clothing yourself with humility. And then he says, humble yourself uh, before the elders. And he says, those who are young... Humble yourselves before the elders. In 1 Peter 5, 1 through 4, he's talked about the elders. He, he's a fellow elder. He says, this is how you lead. Don't get your identity in it and lord it over people. Don't do it for financial gain, but rather be an example to the flock. Do first what you want them to do. Lead that way. And then he says this to the young people. Be subject to the elders. Humble yourself before the elders. Why does he say that? Why does he say it to the young? Why doesn't he say it to everybody? Everybody needs to have spirit, be under spiritual authority, um, which is absolutely true. But the reason why I think he points out the young people is that's the, the sin of young people, pride. It's just easier to be humble when you're older because you've seen a lot and you've experienced a lot. And it's just easier to understand why we need authority and humble yourself. But young people 
are oftentimes just filled with their own solution, their own thing, their own invincibility, and they can find out what's wrong with leadership and decide we don't want any leaders. We're, we're, we'll do it. And then it's, I, it's, just, it's just Jesus is going to be our head. And doesn't that sound wonderful? Only Jesus is our leader. Sounds great, doesn't it? Well, that's not how the church works. Jesus is building his church, and his church happens to have elders in it that you need to humble yourself before them. Now, as an elder, I want to speak to our youth. Guys, we're, we're counting on you. We don't want to oppress you. We don't want to keep you down. No, just the opposite. We want to release you. We want to see you become way better than we are. We, we want you to stand on our shoulders. God has made it very clear to City Church that if we're going to have the double anointing that he promised, he asked us to ask him for the double anointing, that the, one of the key parts of it is we need to pour out on the next generation. The next generation is where we're going to see the double anointing and that if we're trying to just be the, the, the thing, um, we're not going to have it without the younger generation. But for you to, to, for you to get the double anointing, you're going to have to learn honor. You're going to have to learn the humility of honoring spiritual authority. And then God can trust you. And then you can be released the way God wants to release you. And then right after that, it says, for the young people to be subject to the elders, it says, and all of you clothe yourselves with humility toward one another. I just got done uh, self-publishing a book called The Puzzle of the End Times. So well, let me tell you what I did before I, I went to print with that thing. I sent a copy of it um, to all of my daughters <laughs> and had them read it and had them criticize it. And do you know that all three of them had corrections and different corrections at different places. Do you know that when they made those, when they said, Dad, I think you should do this. Dad, I think you should do this. Dad, this comes off like this. Do you know that I changed everything exactly how they said it? It's a way better book because, because of them. God, I'm not saying that young people are only going to lead in the future. God is going to use young people to lead now. I thought it was funny. The, the, I, I've read a lot of prophets and prophetic things about the coronavirus and where we're going. And, but the most powerful thing that I heard from anybody was uh, this prophetic guy said, my son had a dream. He's seven years old. He had the same dream three nights in a row. And he gave, that, he gave what the dream was. I'm like, okay, that's the best thing I've heard so far. <laughs> God's using young people. God wants to use young people, not tomorrow, but today. But you've got to learn honor. You've got to learn honor and clothe yourselves with humility or, you, or we're going to be vulnerable. So God uses earthly authority to expose pride and give us an opportunity to learn how to be humble. And then secondly, God uses waiting to teach us humility. This is 1 Peter 5, 6. Humble yourselves, therefore, under God's mighty hand, and at the proper time, he will exalt you. Now, if you've been around City Church, 
you've heard this a thousand times, that the word proper time there is one Greek word. It's kairos. There's no English equivalent for this word. It means God's timing. It's translated proper time, at due time, at the right time, at the opportune time. It is an opportunity. It's a window. There's a timing that God has for things. And it says we need to humble ourselves under his mighty hand. His hand represents what he can do for you. Folks, there's nothing he can't do for you. God can do. He's not limited by anything. Humble yourselves under his mighty hand that can do anything. And stay in that place of humility And at the Kairos, there will be the breakthrough. There will be your answer. It's brutal to watch the waiting period. I have a couple daughters that were waiting for a husband. And it was really hard to see them wait. Because they were serving God and they kept their hearts pure. And and they they prayed and they trusted God. And they both just wanted to be married and have kids. But there wasn't a guy, there wasn't a guy, there wasn't a guy. And it was really hard. It was hard for me. I was waiting. They weren't the only ones waiting for a husband. I was waiting for the husband. And and you just, when you're powerless to do something, you you embrace humility. You realize, I can't produce this. I would do anything for my girls, but I couldn't give them a husband. Only God could do that. And then to see the Kairos come and to see just the right guy and just the right every it's just like, oh my God, you are so good. I've got one daughter that was waiting for a job in her field. Very highly educated, very smart, and, but just doing a, 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 a job that was just a great job, great place, but just it wasn't what she was trained for. It wasn't what she went to school for. And so she was waiting and applying. And once again, I, I would do anything for her, but I couldn't give her that job. But my, oh my, when God opened that job, what a day of rejoicing. I've got one of my children is waiting for a healing. They've got a bad diagnosis over them. They're on all this medication, and, but, but that's, they're waiting for him. I, they're, oh, there will be a great day of rejoicing when she goes off that medicine. I can't wait for that. In the meantime, what happens? We learn humility. We learn there are some things we can't produce ourselves. We can't fake them, and we have to wait. We, uh, we had a home that needed to be sold. It took six years to sell it. Well, oh my, that must have been horrible. You know what? It was horrible and it was humbling. And the beautiful thing about humility is long after the event is over, you can still have that humility. Everything that's broken in you, every little temper tantrum you have, I think of all the things I did during those six years that were just wrong. They're just me trying to manipulate God, trying to get God to do things, trying to proclaim it and rebuke it and, and fast it. And I, I did everything I could. By the time that thing sold, I was so dead to it. I just, I just was, I just, it wasn't mine anymore. It was all God's. You know, maybe learning humility was more important than selling the house. Why did I give all these examples? Because I know, what you, I know that you're out there and you're waiting. There are many of you waiting for a healing. There are many of you waiting for a husband or for a wife. There are many of you that are, have prayed sincerely, trusting God, but you're waiting. And when I say waiting, I mean suffering. 
You're suffering. It's hard for us to wait. It's hard for us to wait, and we do, the, we do the math. God, if you love me, and I've already prayed, and you said you'd answer prayer, why don't I have this thing? And God says, oh, it's coming. It's coming. But I'm going to do something in you while you're waiting. Something beautiful, something powerful. Let me use this process. And then my last point, how to benefit from suffering. Huge theme throughout 1 Peter. Very helpful. Here's 4.19. Or, 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 or number one, how to benefit from suffering. Recog- by recognizing that suffering is part of God's plan. Here's, here's chapter 4, verse 19. So then, those who suffer according to God's will should commit themselves to their faithful creator and continue to do good. Uh, did it just say suffer according to God's will? Does God like to see his children suffer? No. You know what it says in, in chapter 1? It says about our faith being tested. It says, if necessary, you are grieved by these various trials. Trials, If necessary. God doesn't plan trials for our lives. But he's a good father. And he will bring the right discipline for our sake. No father gets excited about disciplining their children. Oh, I can't wait to spank them. That, that's not how that, that, no. Fathers want their children to just obey them. Just obey them because of their voice. Just because, but because we love them, because they are, we delight in them. We care about what they're becoming. And so, if necessary, we will bring discipline, and God will bring discipline. And I just, just so you know, there are some things I believe God can't just speak them to us. I, I think there are some things you can only learn by God's discipline. I think, I think we can lessen the discipline. We can shorten the discipline by having a right attitude. But I think there's some things we're just going to have to go through. So recognize that's, that's number one, to just, to just recognize that suffering is part of God's plan. Look at chapter two, uh, 2, verses 21 through 23. To this you were called because Christ suffered for you, leaving you an example that you should follow in his steps. He committed no sin and no deceit was found in his mouth. When they hurled insults at him, he did not retaliate. When he suffered, he made no threats. Instead, he entrusted himself to him who judges justly. Now, this is really interesting. Because he says, Christ suffered for you. And you and I immediately, especially in the Western church, we go to Christ was our substitution. When it says Christ suffered for me, it means he suffered instead of me. But that's not what this verse is saying. He suffered for you to give you an example of how to suffer. That he continued to do good. He didn't retaliate. He didn't get angry. He didn't fight back. He showed us how to walk through suffering. It was God's will for Christ to suffer. 
And yes, he suffered instead of us and for us as our substitute, but he also suffered as an example of how we were to go through times of suffering. On Easter, I talked about this season for City Church, and and I think it's a season actually for America. God wants to do something big in the American church, that he's, he's taken the coronavirus that, that is squeezing this earth, and he's, he's using it, even though he's not the author of it, he's using it for, for his church to realign the church, to get the church in a place so that we can go to another level in him, that we can cross into the promised land. He wants to get us out of the wilderness where we're, where we're ineffectual, and we're just kind of doing the same thing over and over again, even though God loves us and God takes care of us and we love God and we worship God, but, but going around and God's saying, no, no, it's time for movement. I want to go forward. I want to take you into the promised land. I, there are giants I want you to confront. There are, there are victories I want you to win, but I need you to realign in this season so that we can cross over. And I, and I gave the, the, the thing that I felt like the Lord said as one of the next steps. To cross over, you're going to have to take the crossover. And not just fully embrace what Jesus did for us in shedding his blood, but also to embrace this death to self when we're not living for self-preservation. <laughs> where we're not living to do the safest possible thing. Which the, Yeah, it's always safer in the wilderness. Nothing happens there. God's saying, I, I don't want you to live safe. I, I, want you, I want you to embrace my cross. And I want you to come in with me. I want you to do dangerous things. Not presumptuous things. But I'm going to call you to do things in my kingdom that will advance the kingdom of God. And for that, you're going to have to take the crossover. How do we suffer in a way that benefits us? Um... First, recognize that sometimes suffering is part of God's will. Secondly, don't be afraid of suffering or anxious about it. Look at chapter 3, verses 13 and 14. Who is going to harm you if you are eager to do good? But even if you should suffer for what is right, you are blessed. Do not fear their threats. Do not be frightened. God is for me. Who can be against me? What can man do to me? Do not be afraid of threats. Don't be afraid that if I do this or if I do that, I'm going to end up suffering. Don't be afraid of it. Don't be frightened of suffering. God is going to take us through. In our text this morning, humble yourself under God's mighty hand and at the proper time he will exalt you. Casting your cares upon him because he cares for you. Your cares are your anxieties. Don't give in to anxiety in the waiting time. Don't give in to fear. No, this is not evidence that God doesn't love you. No, God does love you. It's not evidence that God's not for me. He's done it for other people and everybody else has gotten married and I'm still not married. God must not care about me. No, that's wrong. That's a lie. Don't pick it up. Just make you anxious. Don't give in to fear. Don't give in to anxiety. Cast all of your anxieties upon him. He cares for you. 
God loves you. Perfect love, it says, casts out all fear. If you're afraid, instead of trying to not be afraid, why not say, God, I receive more of your love? Open, uh, your love is perfect. Fill me with your love. Fill me with your love. And then if there's still a demon hanging around, rebuke him in Jesus' name. Finally, fix your eyes on the rewards of suffering. Number one, preparing us for the glory to come. Listen to verses, verse one, verse seven. So that the proof of your faith being more precious than gold, which is perishable, even though tested by fire, may found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Christ suffered before he went into his glory. And Peter says, we're going to suffer too before we go into our glory. Don't worry about it. Fix your eyes completely on the hope of what's coming. Get your eyes off of present suffering and get it on future reward. This was what Paul said. Paul said, these momentary light afflictions are not to be compared with the eternal weight of glory that is coming. They are just prepping me for glory. And I am going to keep my eyes on the glory that's coming Secondly, God's blessing now. Some people get mad about, it's all about heaven, and we're just having a miserable life down here, and then heaven will come, and it'll be great. No, God's concerned about this life. Listen to this. This is 9 through 12, chapter 3. Do not repay evil with evil or insult with insult. On the contrary, repay evil with blessing, because to this you were called, so that you may inherit a blessing. For whoever would love life and see good days must keep their tongue from evil and their lips from deceitful speech. They must turn from evil and do good. They must seek peace and pursue it. For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous and his ears are attentive to their prayer. So God's not just concerned about the afterlife. He wants to prepare you And get you in a place so that you inherit a blessing now. So that you love this life. So that good things happen to you in this life. And how you suffer is preparing you and placing you under that fountain of blessing now. So so don't revile. Don't get upset. Don't, oh, this is a tough one. Don't complain and grumble. Pastor Tom, that's just human nature. Oh, I get that. I totally get that. But I want you to think of complaining, grumbling and complaining to people about your life. I want you to think about it a little differently. I want you to think about it as gossiping about God. So what does the Bible say? It says, if your brother offends you, what does it say? Go to him privately and make it right with him. That's Matthew 18, 15. So, if, if, if I'm offended by somebody, if, if Joe has offended me, I don't go to Greg and say, Joe is horrible and da-da-da-da-da-da. No, I, that, that, that's, about, that's called gossip. I'm talking behind his back. It's because I lack the courage to go right to Joe. And to preserve the relationship with Joe, to value that relationship, I go to Joe. And I say, this is, this is between us right now. Well, this is how God feels. So it says, when you're suffering, 
restrain your tongue from grumbling and complaining and bring your prayer to God. Go, you've got an issue with somebody. God, if your life is hard, if your life is difficult, if it's not fair, if everybody else is getting what they want, you're not getting what they want, and it's just not fair, there's somebody to go to. God, go privately to him and tell him how you feel. Because when you just have a grumbling spirit out there, you are gossiping about God. You're talking behind God's back. You're supposed to be his child. You're supposed to be his beloved. You're supposed to be the one that represents him. And here you are grumbling and complaining all day long about your boss. And of course, nobody would say it's about God. You're complaining about your life, not about God. Well, listen, God, if you've given your life to God, then he's the one that's in charge. Then you're really grumbling about him. So we all, we all have difficulties Go to your brother in private. Go to God in private. This is what it says. His eyes on the righteous and he hears their prayer. Go and say, God, what's going on here? Why am I at this job? Why is my wife so this? Why is my husband like that? Why, why are our kids so disobedient? Why, 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 why? Go to God and let him talk to you. And press into him and read his word and make a covenant with your lips that I'm not going to go out and complain to everybody else. I'm going to bring my complaint right to God. I'm going to have the courage to draw near to God and see what he might, well, God doesn't speak to me. Well, maybe, maybe you're not listening. Actually, one of the greatest ways to get your ears open is to go through some suffering. We tend to hear God clearer when things are difficult in our lives than we, than we do when, when everything's going good. God wants you to be blessed not just in the afterlife, but in this life. Jesus says, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give you a, an easy yoke and a light burden. I'm going to teach you how to do this. Humility doesn't just work for then. It works down here. And then finally, our faith is being refined by suffering. In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested or refined by fire. I, I did a little study on how they refine gold, and it's funny because they, it's basically the same process today as it was back then. They've got better equipment, but it's basically the same thing. In, in that day, you just heat up the urn that has the gold in it, and when you get it hot enough, and when I say hot, I mean like a thousand degrees, the impurities will rise to the top, and then the refiner skims it, skims off all the impurities. And then the process starts again. He heats it up again and he skims impurities. And each time that he skims, he looks in it and he can see his image a little better, a little better, a little better. What he ultimately wants, of course, pure gold would have a perfect image from the refiner. So God's refining us. One morning this week, and the worship team can start to come now. Um, as I'm working on this message, I wake up and and, and I have this memory that is so strong that I, I try to pay attention. The year is 1981. It is my first summer back from college. And I don't have a job. And so my family 
finds these jobs. That was the, 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 the summer that I painted the courier and I hung a ceiling in the apartment above the, cur- the courier's the newspaper my dad owned and ran. Um, and my sister, Sheila, and her husband, Bob, hired me to go to Milwaukee. They owned a duplex and in their part of it, they wanted me to refinish the floors. And it was a huge floor. It was kitchen, uh, or not kitchen, dining room and living room together. So it's this huge open space and it's got this old varnish and this old stain on it and they've rented this huge sander and they explained to me what this is going to look like. That the first part of the process is I need to sand off all of the varnish and the stain and then we will be ready to restain and revarnish and it will look amazing at the end. So they give me a little lesson on how to run this sander. They go off to work. So I spent all day sanding. It's really hard. And it's really long. And that day comes to an end. And I start the next day, and I'm sanding all day long. All day long, varnish, trying to get the stain. It's really hard. And, and as I'm doing more and more of this, all I'm thinking about is how great this is going to look and how excited I am about doing the stain. The stain's going to go on really quickly. And then the varnish, this thing is going to look awesome. And so finally, after three days of sanding, I declare to them that I'm done and I'm ready to go on to the next stage. And, uh, and they're like, great, that's awesome. But before you do, we're going to bring Bob's dad in, Ruel, who's a master craftsman, just to, just to get the okay from the, from the big guy. He, he's the one that knows how to do this stuff. So his, his dad, Ruel, comes. He's kind of, a, kind of a grumpy old guy. And he looks at the floor And he says, well, it's a good start. And then he proceeds to show me how deep you need to go to get all the stain in the varnish off. He does this one little patch and just shows me what it needs to look like. He says, but you've made a good start of things. Guys, I wanted this thing, to, this, this lockdown to be over. I was ready to move on. It's time to move on. And God said, I, and I really think he's saying this to all of us, you guys have made a good start. But I want to go deeper. I actually want to go, I want to sand deeper. I want to get some stains off that you were, you, you didn't think they were that big a deal. Well, I, I, I've, I've, got, I've got something more beautiful than you have imagined that I want from your life. I want to take off that old varnish. I want to take off that old stain. I want to go deeper. So I just, I need you. I know, I know you want to get on with your life. I know you want to be realigned and now we get to have church again and we get to do evangelism and we get to now because we've been changed and we want to do something different. And the Lord says, yeah, and you have been changed. And it's a really good start, but I've got more I want to do in this time. So I need you to stay with me just a little longer. Let me go deeper. As we take communion together, I want to read to you 1 Corinthians 11. Paul, it's the communion passage. He's talking, it's all about communion and examining ourselves before we take communion. Here's what Paul says in chapter 11, verses 31 and 32. He says, but if we judged ourselves rightly, we would not be judged. But when we are judged, 
We are disciplined by the Lord so that we will not be condemned along with the world. Paul says, if you guys will focus on judging yourself and not just move on with your life, just move on and, and, and just ignore what's going on. If you just take time to judge yourself, Jesus said it four times, whoever humbles himself will be exalted. But if you exalt yourself and you're unwilling to look, God's going to have to bring some trials in. Not because he rejects you, but because he doesn't want you to be condemned like the rest of the world. He, he will bring his discipline. And so on the night that Jesus was betrayed, he took the bread and he said, take and eat. Let's pray for the bread as we examine our hearts. Lord, you gave yourself for us. You suffered first, you suffered most. And today, Lord, before we receive the bread and the cup, we want to examine ourselves. Lord, I know we want to move on to the next thing. I know we're tired of being locked down. Lord, would you help us to have a good attitude? Would you help us to readjust our attitude for this time and say, oh, wow, God, you want to you go deeper and make this thing more beautiful than I ever imagined? Thank you for having that kind of a plan. Do your work in me. I humble myself before you today. Thank you for giving your life for me. Let's take the bread together. When the supper was ended, he took the cup. And he said, this is my blood, the blood of the new covenant that's going to be poured out for the forgiveness of your sins. Let's pray for the cup. Lord, thank you for shedding your blood so that we could be washed clean, so that we could have a new beginning. Thank you, Lord. Thank you that your blood washes pride. <laughs> so, Lord, any pride we've seen in ourselves today, wash it, Jesus. In any other way we failed, we just confess it and say, Lord, thank you that you're so good that you wanted us to have a new beginning. We're taking the cross over, Jesus. We're going to stop punishing ourselves and just say, thank you for taking all of my shame, all of my sin, all of my punishment on that cross. It is finished. Take and drink. We're going to do one song as we close. I hope that you come back tonight at 6 o'clock for worshiping, worshiping and waiting. God bless you. Have a good day.